Hello, my name is Adam Eason. Welcome to episode 57 of Hypnosis Weekly. Hello hypnosis friends and a very warm welcome to the hypnosis weekly podcast once again in my own highly biased opinion I think I have a gold disc winning show lined up for you today. In a short while, I'll be sharing with you an interview with my guest, Glenn Harold. Then I'll be looking at the hypnosis in the news stories, examining the media where hypnosis is featured. I'm going to offer up some personal subjective commentary on the ways hypnosis gets portrayed in the media, but also comment on some of the content of those media stories. We then return with our professional discussion with my Gen guest Glenn Harold will be talking about spirituality, raising consciousness and the influence of such upon his hypnotherapy work. We'll round things off with this week's hypnosis evidence-based factoid before I bid you farewell for another week. As I say at the beginning of every Hypnosis Weekly episode, this podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate. I do not share the same stance as most of our guests and at times have major differences in approach and leaning, but all are incredibly lovely people who I'd happily talk with until late in the pub and all of whom following their time here on Hypnosis Weekly, I have a great deal of respect for. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback, do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode on the website www.hypnosis-weekly.com. That's just hypnosisweekly with a hyphen in the middle.com. You can add your thoughts, comments and make any suggestions there too. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else to help us reach more of the hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. If you enjoy this podcast, then please do go give us a favourable rating, even a review at iTunes. It'll do us a world of good and I'll be a BFF if you do. So first of all today is this week's interview. At a recent hypnotherapist peer support group that I was running here in my local town of Bournemouth, I got talking to one of our attendees, a uh, big shout out to you Dean by the way, who had been working as a sound technician with Glenn Harold, and we got chatting about him and his work and I decided to see if I could get Glenn on the show. So it's with enormous pleasure and a real sense of honour that I welcome Glenn Harold, now based in Fuencarola in Spain. I have known about and, uh, and of Glenn for my entire career, and we've crossed paths on numerous occasions over those years. Um, but let me just give you a couple of impressive statistics. Over 7 million CDs, books, MP3s and apps sold. Just incredible. His Complete Relaxation CD is the number one best-selling self-help CD in the UK of all time. And back in 2006, that particular recording was awarded a gold disc by Nielsen Book Data for sales in excess of 250,000. The only CD title ever to be awarded a gold disc in the self-help genre. 
You see, for me, outside of somebody like Paul McKenna or Darren Brown, perhaps, I think Glenn Harold is about the closest thing to a superstar that the field of hypnotherapy has, especially for us here in the UK. And there are numerous other plaudits I could share with you that I think you'll discover if you go and explore him and his work. All that said, as you'll discover, as you'll see for yourself and hear for yourself, he remains incredibly humble, and I just loved having him on the show. Therefore, for now, get comfy, my friends, turn up the volume, sip on your tea. Enjoy this week's interview. So, as I've just been discussing, I'm delighted to welcome the one and only Mr. Glenn Harold to Hypnosis Weekly. Glenn, welcome. Hello, Adam. Good to be with you. Um, so, let's roll our sleeves up, get straight into it. Tell me, tell me, how did you get into this field? Tell us a bit about your background and how you've arrived at this lofty position where you are now within this, within this field. Well, um, a long, long time ago, I used to, um, I was a musician in my uh, kind of earlier years, uh, and it started like in my teenage years when I was in a punk band, um, and we used to, you know, play gigs. And uh, we, I was briefly, in a, I was in a band called um, the Vagrants and the Sugar Ray Five. And with the Sugar Ray Five, we won a national pop competition back in the early eighties, and yeah. we kind of had a little taste of fame, very brief taste of fame, and but it all imploded before it really took off. Um, and years later, my musical uh, career sort of continued where I was doing pubs and clubs. I was working on the cabaret circuit. Um, and with my ex-wife, she was a singer. I was playing guitar and we used to do shows. And it was one night on one of these shows that we were sharing the bill with a stage hypnotist. Yeah. And it was while watching this guy, you know, work the audience like, you know, like stage hypnotists do, that it kind of really sparked an interest in... Yeah. The power of hypnotherapy, uh, hypnosis, I really saw there and then, you know, the, the power of it. And it, it really intrigued me, but I was drawn to it more for the, the the healing potential of it rather than the entertainment side of it. And, you know, from, from that point, I did a two-year diploma with the British School of Clinical Hypnosis in London uh, back in the sort of mid-90s. Yeah. I loved you know, I just absolutely loved it. I took to it like a duck to water. And, and um, after, you know, getting my diploma, I went out in the world and saw as many clients as I could and, and built a, uh, you know, a good career in it. Um, and then I started making recordings towards the, you know, later end of the 90s because having the musical background and, you know, by that point, I'd seen quite a number of clients, you know, I'd probably seen over a thousand clients before I started making a recording mm. I've all, I always felt that I did a good apprenticeship in you know you know in, the, in my work before I actually got to the point of making recordings and really at that time there weren't there weren't too many people uh, making you know dedicated hypnosis recordings you know a lot of the ones that were circulating were um, you know coming over from America and I'd often you know we'd often hear from people oh, you know they, they prefer people in the UK preferred an English voice. So I kind of was in the right place at the right time. Yeah. And, and when I started to distribute the recordings, you know, initially I used to drive around to local stores and I'd deliver them into stores and then I'd drive back two weeks later and um, I had deals with stop, shops where it would be 
you know, uh, on a sale return basis. Yeah. And, and everywhere I put them, they would sell. They'd sell really well. And, you know, then I, I got them into Waterstones at one point. They put them on core stock list and then they kind of went all over the country. And Brilliant. the whole thing had a momentum from that point onwards. And, um, and it's carried on through to today where, you know, people download them on their phones and, you know, it's direct to the customer now. It's not like going into a store. They, you know, you leave them in a store and then the customer comes and buys them. You know, it's, it's really amazing today where it's direct to the end user and and the momentum's continue today. You know, they continue to sell all over the world in great numbers and I feel very blessed and privileged to be doing what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, I mean, I, I've seen I, I've seen a picture on your website. I'll mention your website later on. I've seen a picture on your website where you're receiving a golden record. Yeah, that was back in, uh, that was about 10 years ago now. Really? Because when I, I got to a point where the recordings um, had sold, uh, I think that recording in particular, it was called Complete Relaxation, mm. had sold, sold 250,000. And yeah. at the time, it was only in, in audiobooks, I think it was only J.K. Rowling. And um, yeah, I think it was J.K. Rowling was getting loads of audio, um, gold discs. But I kind of, my best-selling title, got to this uh, threshold, and they, I, I won this gold disc, which was like a very, um, quite a proud moment. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 just it, it just seems almost incomprehensible to me that somebody um, um, within our field would do that. Would is <laughs> is up there competing with J.K. Rowling? Uh, you know, it's it's just brilliant to to and hear. That was on the CD format, you know. Can, yeah. can you that now? You know that, it, and it was it was really strange because the CDs, you know, initially I used to distribute um, cassettes, you know, so I'd have my recordings on cassette and they go out there, and then literally within one year, cassettes had disappeared and CDs took over. Yeah. So I scrambled around and got them all onto CD, and they, you know, went out on the the newer format, and you know, then yeah, a few years ago, CDs suddenly were in decline and it was all you know downloads and on straight onto the phone onto the app store yeah yeah the is, it's it's yeah i've always kind of had an eye for <clears throat> the new trends you know the things that were yeah. coming up and but yeah i've had to move fast at certain times and um you know change direction but it's been a been an amazing journey and i've loved every step of yeah. it yeah i bet one of the things that, that i really loved hearing just then was um was you talking about you know driving round to shops and giving giving your, your your CDs or your tapes to to retailers to sell on a sale or return basis you know and and yeah. I, I love to hear that because it shows it shows the the journey and and the the willingness to really roll one sleeves up and get stuck in and d develop and be proactive in 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 your own destiny i think in in t you know today there's so many people wanting a, a, an instant career um, mm. um and don't recognize perhaps what what goes on and what has gone on behind mm. the scenes for people to really to really make that m make the career uh, the, the, the ilk of which which you have had yeah and, and really there was when i was doing that i didn't have any you know, concept that they'd be, you know, in a few years' time, they'd be selling by the millions in, you know, on people's phones. And, you know, I just had a real passion. You know, when I first made my recordings, as I say, I'd seen about a thousand clients up to that point. And, you know, by then I was, you know, 
for, I'd say very experienced and and I really you know with most people that came to see me in my clinic I was getting good results and you know I had a it's at that point I was getting to I was getting to the point where I had a waiting list and you know I had a real passion for it I loved learning about the subject and you know really understanding what makes makes people tick and what they needed from the session and you know so when I came to making the recordings I was you know equally as passionate about the the healing element of them yeah I wanted to make them you know the thing that I really wanted to do with the recordings was I wanted to make them very safe because I was aware you know people were going to be listening to them in their private spaces um, but I also wanted to make them effective you know it wasn't just about uh, you know a bit of music because I made the music as well because I was a musician you know I'm, it was the whole package you know and and when I listened to some of my earlier recordings they were they were a little bit basic but they still had the you know the um, the kind of uh, care and attention to detail yeah. because I really wanted them to be effective and you know even though the music was a bit ropey at times um you know a bit dated now when i listen to it it still had that um yeah that the sort of kind of x factor i suppose yeah and, um you know more often than not when they went out there they would they would be effective and i always remember i went into i got them into a local chemist a chemist chain in, in kent where i was living at the time yeah and um yeah it was a sale or return deal with one of them and I went in and and it was the, the delivered a box of them in there and it was a homemade box as well I actually used to make the box <laughs> display stands out of balsa wood because at that time I didn't have any money and um, so I'd make the stands I'd duplicate the cassettes and do the whole thing and leave them in the stores and one yeah I came back a couple of weeks later and this lady said oh this this gentleman's been in and he said he's sleeping like a baby now, and he loves your recording. He's bought up all of them. He had actually bought all of them, and and it was um, a little moment where I thought, wow, there's there's a a lot of potential here for, um, you know, because if this one gentleman was affected in such a way, I thought, well, this could happen all over the place. Yeah, and it kind of yeah gave me a bigger picture at that time. Well, I, you know, I, I, I'm guessing that there's no way on earth you would have been anything like as successful as you would have been if the if the audios had just been impotent. You know, I, I think I think you you know the likelihood is that, that that you know as 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 if you go online and have a look, you know, the amount of people that that speak so highly of the results they've had with your audios is is incredible. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think you know that the fact that that. That, that they are good and that people derive the benefit that they do, I think mm. is, is testament to, to, to the successful career that you've had. Mm. Um, yeah, it's become, it's become the main part of my career now. You know, though I still see clients occasionally one-to-one, -one, um, but the, the recordings are the thing that I really, I, I kind of feel it's become my vocation because, um, yeah, just because they, they, affect so many people and um in a positive way and i've got this great platform so yeah you know, that's the thing i give most of my energy to now yeah yeah i just um i'm i'm, I'm completely digressing because i'm so i'm so fascinated about this this notion of you know especially at a time i'm guessing where, where hypnosis audios were perhaps not not that well recognized you know, mm. I'm just I'm just in awe of anyone who was going round to shops and saying, you know, here, will you stock these? Um, yeah. um, you know, 
I, I just I just think you know brass brass balls to you. Well, <laughs> you know, brilliant stuff. Oh, thank you, Adam. Um, so, um, 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 l l let's talk about hypnosis a little bit then. Um, um, tell me, you know, did you have a working definition as far as hypnosis is concerned? How do you define it? Perhaps you know, give us an idea of how you arrived at that, or, or how you explain hypnosis to to clients and other people that ask you about it. Mm. Well, I think, um, you know, the first thing I always explain is, um, you know, going back to the stage hypnotist that I first came across, um, you know, most people's exposure to hypnosis is through those kind of shows. Um, and I always make a clear distinction between that kind of hypnosis and the kind of hypnosis that we do, which is very much using hypnosis as a therapeutic tool, yeah. whereas the, the other kind of hypnosis is using it just purely for entertainment. And I make a clear distinction there because, you know, a lot of people, for a lot of people, that's um, a blurred area. Yeah. And, you know, when, as you know yourself, when you're in a clinical setting with a client, you're using a different type of induction. Uh, you're using hypnosis in a different way completely. And, yeah, and I think really to, to answer your question there, I think it's... Um, Hypnosis is just a focused state of attention. Yeah. And and when you're in that focused state of attention, you're very uh, open and receptive to suggestion. And really that's where, you know, the, the work I do in a one-to-one -one setting is to help the client achieve that, um, you know, very relaxed uh, but focused state of attention so that they're open and receptive to receiving suggestions that are going to help them, you know, overcome their, their problem or to focus on their goal or, you know, whatever it is they've, they've come to see me for. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's really it in a, in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, um, and so can you tell us a little bit about some of the influences um, that you've had throughout your career um, yeah. and perhaps some of the books and authors that have taught you most or some of the teachers that have been the most influential upon you and, and some of the reasons why? Yeah, I, I, one, of the, one of the best teachers I ever had was um, a gentleman at the, the college, uh, the British School of Clinical Hypnosis when I was there. This was kind of the mid-90s. Um, a gentleman called Gavin, Gavin Emerson, who's um, yeah. he's got his own school now in in, in the U, in London, I think he's he's based. Um, and he was a very inspirational person in that he was um, he was a super so professional in the way that he um, went about uh, setting up his clinic and and treating clients the way he treated clients and. Yeah, he was one of my big influences early on. And I always remember it being in a class with him and he was doing a talk and he did this induction and he came over to me and it was just, it seemed quite um, spontaneous. And he kind of, he moved his hands around and did this instant induction on me. And <laughs> I, within a few minutes, I felt like I was in quite a deep hypnotic trance state. And I was, you know, being a student, I was quite intrigued to learn this technique. So I said to him, what was the technique? Have you got it written down anywhere? And he said, no, I just, um, I totally improvised it. He said, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I said, I've never done that before, those hand movements. And it kind of taught me a lot about, um, yeah, being able to improvise and being spontaneous and creative with it. Um, so, yeah, he was he was a very good teacher and a good influence. Um, Great. 
And I'm trying to think of that book. This one of my favourite books um, was it Hartland, the oh, hypnotherapy yeah, yeah. book. Yeah. Hart, Hartland's. What's the name? Do you know the name of the yeah, book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hartland. I mean, I think the most recent edition of it is just Hartland's Medical and Dental Hypnosis, um, yeah. which is which is the, the core textbook on our own diploma courses. Um, um, you know, I'm there with you with Hartland's. That was a great book. I haven't read it for a long time, but that was very informative. Also, Dave Ellman's uh, hypnotherapy book. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite an old book now. It was probably first published in the fifties or sixties, but it was very. Um, I found that very uh, influential because it it was very pragmatic and it was there was a lot of common sense in the book and um, and it was also very healing orientated. Yeah. Uh, the way it was set out. It was a. It was a lot about you know the, you know because sometimes for me I found the hypnosis itself is not the most important part of the session, because whether you know sometimes a person can go into a very deep trance very quickly, you know sometimes people go into light trances and you know it's, it's not always easy to get them into a deeper trance state than, you know a very light alpha trance state. But I've often found it's not the depth of the trance state that's the most important thing. It's the way that they respond to you as a therapist and the way that they're willing to take on board the suggestions that you give them. So, yeah, that was um, that's always an important, you know, become an important factor in my sessions that, you know, the the, the rapport that you build with the client is all, you know, the key thing, not yeah. so much. You know, because when I first started, it was I thought, you know, I've got to get them into a deep trance every time. If I don't, you know, it's not going to work. But I've not found that as time has gone on. It's it's you know, I've had some very successful sessions in, you know, where people were in, were in very light trance states. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think a lot of listeners will be really relieved to hear that, <laughs> um, because I you know I, I think that, that that the kind of issue that you state there where you know it, it becomes so important for people to this notion of depth which i think sometimes can be a bit of a misnomer you know mm. and the, the fact that you've got a good working alliance with that individual and they're receptive is is very often more important mm. um I, I i hear you with that um, um so glenn throughout the years um, um what has been one of the most impressive applications of hypnosis that, that you've directly witnessed kind of most impressive um I suppose one of the, you know, I've done a few high-profile things where I've, um, I did um, a thing for Closer magazine. This was probably five years ago or more. Yeah. Where they um, they lined up five celebrities with different phobias and anxiety issues, um, addictions, and you know it was okay. You've got to fix these people. <laughs> And it was quite a challenge because it was one session for each one of them, and it was in a busy publisher's office up in London. Oh, and um, you know, I was, I, I'll be honest, I was fairly nervous beforehand because it was quite a challenge, you know. And as you know, you know, it's, you sometimes need more than one session if the addiction or the problem's a little bit, you yeah. know, deep or complex. Yeah. But um, I did it. I did these sessions in the publisher's office in London, and the biggest celebrity was Andrea McLean. Mm. And she had, she had quite an addiction to chocolate, so much so that she'd eat a bar of chocolate every single day. And um, and because this was you know published in the magazine, I was free to talk about it. It's not you know it wasn't a, a confidential thing. I've, yeah. So um, 
Yeah, Andrea had an addiction where she'd eat a full big bar of chocolate every single day. And she said that, you know, she'd done this since she was a child. And um, there was something that was telling me that it was more than just um, addiction. It was something else behind it. So I did this little regression thing on her. And it turned out that when she was a child, her father would hide chocolate around the house. And her and her sister, it would be quite a game to go around the house and find the chocolate. And when they did... They weren't allowed to eat it. So there was all this, um, you know, excitement and yeah. uh, fun and um, and also the forbidden aspect of not being able to eat it associated yeah. with chocolate. So as I explored it, I did some hypnoanalysis and, um, you know, and, and all of this stuff came up. I was able to, you know, break that association and, um, you know, uh, break the connection to the excitement and all this, these emotions that were tied to chocolate. Um, and I also did an aversion thing on her as well at the end, so that when she's when she would, um, uh, you know, she'd find chocolate quite repulsive, and you know, and you know that can work in varying de- varying degrees with different people. Yeah. You do the aversion thing. Sometimes it works a treat, but with Andrew, it did it. It worked an absolute treat. So much so that um, two weeks later, she phoned me up and she said, "I felt absolutely terrible since the hypnosis session." She said, "What? What did you do to me?" And I said, well, I said, um, you know, tell me a bit more. I said, have you eaten any chocolate? She said, no, I haven't touched it since. She said, I'm pleased about that. She said, I feel terrible. And I said, well, you're probably, if you've been eating it for years and years, a bar every day, you're probably detoxing. And sure enough, it was that. You know, she was actually going through this cold turkey thing with chocolate. <laughs> it, was, it was coming out of her system. Yeah. And, and then I bumped into about, we, when the photo shoot came out, we did a, a thing with Closer magazine. It was about three months later, and she said to me at that time, three months after the session, she said, "I've not. If I see it on the telly now, if I see somebody eating chocolate on the telly, she said it makes me feel nauseous. I feel like gagging. She said I can't touch it anymore. Wow. And it was it was one of those sessions that was you know complete and utter success. And you know, and it was and it was great. It was for the magazine. It was great. She was the high high profile celebrity. So, um, yeah, and she's, I've heard her speak about it on Loose Women a number of times, you know. Yeah. She, she, trouble is, she never mentions me. She always talks about the hypnotherapy and, you know, but that's, that's the... <laughs> that's give, the give her a yeah. call. Yeah, I was say, look, next time you mention it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's, um, it's just, yeah, it was, it was great. So that, yeah. that was one that always stood out. Um, yeah. yeah, that was a good yeah. one. Um, so... Glenn, if you could go back to when you started out, I mean, I mean, you, you, your career is one of those that I think would be the envy of many uh, a, a hypnosis professional. But, mm. but if, if we could go back to when you started out as a hypnotherapist, is there anything that you would do differently? And, and is there any advice that the person you are today would give give that younger you that was just starting out on the road uh, with hypnotherapy and hypnosis? Um, um, and is there any any advice that you'd extend to, to hypnotherapists of today that you might consider giving to a younger version of you? Mm. I think I think the thing is, and I do sometimes, um, you know, I do do that with, uh, you met Dean recently, he was a friend of mine who's just yeah. started, he's starting out as a hypnotherapist and, you know, I've, I've coached him a couple of times and I always say that, you know, you've got to, you've got to believe in what you're doing. You know, I think there's quite a learning curve from, you know, when you've qualified as a hypnotherapist to then building a career as a a hypnotherapist. 
it kind of you know there's another skill set involved where you've got to market yourself and you've got to get yourself out there in as many places as possible um and i think it's sometimes a chicken and egg situation because until you've started to have a number of successes and you get the referrals it's the belief system can be a little bit up and down, you know, the belief in yourself and, you know, what, what you do. Um, so I think the key is, you know, if once you've learned it, and I would say, you know, immerse yourself in it, read as many books as you can on it, um, watch as many videos as you can on it, learn everything you possibly can on hypnotherapy, and, you know, just immerse yourself in it and, and, and see as many clients as you can because, you know, that's when you'll really start to progress and you'll start to get the results um, and the feedback but sometimes there is a little bit of a learning curve um, and you know the first I always remember one of the first clients that ever came to see me I'd I'd um, I'd set up a clinic down in Sheerness in Kent and and it's quite an, an insular place you know you, you go across the bridge to get into Sheerness and a lot of people you know we used to see a lot of people over there that saw the bridge as the outside world and they couldn't yeah. actually go, couldn't go across the bridge. They had a phobia of going over the bridge. So I always remember seeing a lot of people for that down there. But yeah, that was a new clinic I set up there and um, and I'd you know, to get some publicity, to get get going, I contacted the local newspaper there and I said, you know, would you run would you possibly run an editorial on me? I've just started as a hypnotherapist at this clinic. And they agreed to do it. I was you know, kind of lucky, and they came, and the journalist came along, and, um, but she was very scared about hypnosis, and she wouldn't actually look me in the eyes, and it was, you know, because she, her, again, her exposure was to stage hypnosis, so she kind of thought I was, one, you know, going to do that kind of hypnosis, and yeah. she wouldn't look me in the eye. I thought, oh, this is going to come out, the, the article's going to be, um, you know, really misinformed, and but as it happened, when it came out in the newspaper, it was um, it was a great article because they caught me um, in a in a picture where I was looking straight into the camera and I had these cat the cat's eye look, you know, where you, I was staring and I was <laughs> and at the time I had a little goatee beard as I thought that's what you needed as a hypnotherapist. <laughs> I, had, I had my suit on. I was standing behind a bookshelf in front of a bookshelf, and it looked really powerful. This picture. Yeah. And the headline was "Hypnotist Comes to Sheerness," and and the article was really really well written. You know, it conveyed conveyed the power of hypnotherapy and how it could help phobias and anxiety issues and that kind of thing. And from that article, I was absolutely inundated. You know, suddenly from seeing no clients, I I got loads of them. You know, and people even kept the article. And six months later, they they come and see me. Brilliant. Um, but one client I saw from that. It was this big Scottish gentleman who um, wanted to stop smoking, and but he was really afraid of hypnosis. And because he'd seen this, you know, powerful-looking hypnotherapist in the article, he was even more nervous. And he came along to the session, and um, you know, he was very nervous. So I got talking about uh, football because that was one of his interests, and you know, I was building rapport with him through chatting about football, and uh, and all of a sudden. He locked his eyes on mine. Before I started any kind of induction, he locked his eyes on mine and he started swaying from side to side. And he said, oh, he said, you're doing it to me now. <laughs> and he'd gone into, you know, within seconds, he'd gone into a somnambulistic trance state. He was completely, um, you know, 
at my sort of, um, yeah. you know, open and receptive to anything I said. And, and you know, so I told him to, you know, stand up and lay down on the couch because I had a couch at that time. And, you know, I went through my hypnosis script, you know, my stop smoking hypnosis script, which I got from college, which, you know, I realized now was completely unnecessary. But it, that kind of taught me, um, you know, the power of hypnosis, because I hadn't started an induction with this guy, but because he'd seen the article and he believed I was this really powerful hypnotherapist, yeah. he responded, he, he went, he put himself into a really deep trance. Yeah. And yeah, so that taught me a lot. And it taught me about how important it is to, you know, be as professional as you possibly can and set the session up in the right way. Yeah. Because it begins as soon as that person contacts you. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, what you mentioned there, you know, set the session up the right way. Exactly that. You know, I I love to hear that, you know, that the frame of everything, the the, the sheer volume of expectation that that you had created um, had had, had done half the job for you (laughs) Um, um, even before he arrived. You know, that's just brilliant. You know, I, I think that's that's wonderful to hear. Yeah, and I think for any hypnotherapist starting out, you know, that was the key. That was the, what I got from Gavin Emerson, that sort of utter professionalism and that total belief and confidence in what he could do and, you know, and, and the way that he sort of set himself up. So, yeah, you know, I yeah. think that that's the key. Even if you're not feeling totally confident, you know, set yourself up right. You know, look as smart as you can, you know, have your office looking as smart as you can. Make everything, you know, super professional. Yeah. Because people are, you know, people feel nervous when they come to see you and they want to know that you're, you know, 100%, um, you know, uh, a professional and, and, you know, approaching the session in the right way. Yeah, yeah. I um, I think there's some great advice there. Um, um, now, Glenn, you and I are going to talk in a bit more depth um, 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 in a short while about um, um, about a slightly different topic. So, um, where can people go and go to learn more about you, learn more about your work, your approach, and so on? Yes, yeah, certainly. So, I've got um, my main website is www.glenharold.com. Um, that's where you know my my um, my main website is. Yeah. Um, if they want to download my apps then I've got a number of apps on the uh, Apple platform and Android um, and I've got half a dozen on each that are completely free to download that include free sessions within the recordings um, right. so they can listen to you know 30 minute hypnotherapy sessions completely free on the App Store um, you know and again going back from you know cassette recordings into stores you know now I give away you know a lot of what I do I give away yeah. Um, and then, you know, if people like those free recordings, they tend to become, you know, followers and they, they you know, buy the, the paid recordings, yeah. which is such a brilliant way to sell because it's, you know, it's the soft sell, isn't it? You know, yeah, people, absolutely. if people like you, they don't mind, you know, buying, spending three pounds on a stop smoking recording or whatever. So I love that. I love that natural way of selling. You know, it's, it really suits me. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's, that's it. The app store is the main, the main uh, place to you know download recordings now so yeah that, that's brilliant and we'll have permanent links to all of those websites um over at this episode um, um of the, the 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 hypnosis weekly website um um glenn thank you so much for that i could i could just keep on talking um, um we will be back with glenn harold in just a few moments time <laughs>
I really enjoyed that. I, I particularly loved, um, as you could probably tell, I particularly loved hearing about Glenn going around to shops, giving his homemade audio display kits filled with his audio tracks in those early days of his work. Um, I said to Glenn off air, you know, all the bands I love, they have tales, they have a backstory of when they worked hard to make it in the music world, living out of white vans. Um, and I think in, in, in an age that we're in today of people lusting after immediate fame, I, I personally really appreciate those who did what they could and, and had belief in what they were doing and made their own success happen. Um, more from Glenn in a short while. On to this week's hypnosis in the news then. Um, this week, just two great success stories, both from the Daily Mail. Uh, we're going to celebrate some media successes and that's all this week. Some of you may well be pleased to know. So our first story is entitled, Mother who was scared of going outside leaves her house for the first time in five years after hypnotherapy conquered her fear. Um, um, I just love this. This this is a story about mother of two, Jodie Palmer from Wolverhampton, who suffered from agoraphobia, um, and this the fear of open or public places, um, which she, she's had virtually all of her adult life. Um, um, the condition hit an all-time uh, low uh, following her mother's death, sadly, and um, um, about five years ago, and, and she believes that was the reason that she was housebound for so long, and she had anxiety medication and was, was desperate to get her life back on track, um, and spent a single hour with a hypnotherapist and she was able to leave her house for the first time in five years, which I just think is credible. And um, she's quoted as saying, stepping outdoors for the first time without feeling overwhelmed with anxiety was amazing. It was though it was as though a weight I'd carried all my life had been lifted. And isn't this brilliant? You know, um, um, I, I, just, I just love to hear that stuff. Um, um, she... She's uh, worked with the, the hypnotist man, Robert uh, uh, Heisey, uh, visited, who visited her home um, for an hour-long session, which instantly worked. And this is just brilliant stuff as far as I'm concerned. Um, um, our second story this week is um, entitled, Hypnotherapy Made Me Lose Weight and Proud to be Bald. And this is a story of a mother with alopecia who says sessions helped her shed three stone and leave home without a wig. Um, so um, alopecia sufferer Nicola Phelan, um, who had suffered um, uh, from, uh, uh, from alopecia um, um, since she was five, had hypnotherapy in an attempt to lose weight. And um, she had originally weighed uh, um, close to 14 stone and uh, would just would not let her friends and family ever see her without a wig. But after losing three stone as a result of the hypnotherapy, she unexpectedly also felt confident enough to take her wig off. And there are photos of her and, um, and, and good on her, I say. Um, um, it's another great story. Both of these stories today are, are just wonderful uh, coverage as far as hypnotherapy is concerned. And uh, well done to those hypnotherapists and equally well done to uh, those people making those big changes as far, uh, as far as us here on Hypnosis Weekly are concerned. We love reading that stuff. Links to these media stories are listed on the this week's podcast entry over on uh, www.hypnosis-weekly.com. Next up, we have this week's professional discussion then. 
I welcome back Glenn Harold. Um, it would seem really obvious to want to talk to Glenn about his success with his audio recordings over the years, which have made him so well known, so highly respected. Um, but but when I asked him about a topic for discussion, he sort of mentioned his passion for spirituality and raising consciousness. And I'm delighted to say that this is what we discussed um, um, here. Subjects that have not really been covered here before, but also because some of the reason for Glenn's passion of these topics are revealed with some real candor regarding his own personal journey and story, which I, I found to be fascinating. So that's what we discuss here. Um, here is this week's professional discussion with Glenn Harold. Enjoy. <music> So I'm joined once again by Glenn Harrell, this week's Hypnosis Weekly guest here on the show. And um, usually I, I, I ask our, our prospective guests when I'm busy badgering them to come and to come and get involved in the show um, about some of the things um, um, and topics that we can discuss with them. And um, one of the things that, that came up within our communication was was Glenn's passion for spirituality and raising consciousness and some of the experiences that he's had um, 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 as far as that's concerned. Um, Glenn, welcome back. Um, first of all, then, before I sort of start asking you about this anymore, can you just explain to me and our listeners, first of all, what, what, what are we talking about when we refer to spirituality and raising consciousness? What, what, what do we mean by that, first of all? I think, um, you know, when you when you raise your consciousness, you, you kind of um, experience life uh, in a different way. And, you know, I speak as somebody who, when I was young, when I was a teenager, I had a very, very dysfunctional upbringing. And, you know, as a teenager, I, from the age of 12, I'd often sleep on the streets. I was into drink, drugs, you know, all the things that wayward kids are into. And, you know, I was in a lot of trouble. I got expelled from school when I was 15. Mm. You know, my childhood was, uh, you know, very a very challenging one. And I, I kind of mixed with kids back in that day that were, you know, they were the local tearaways from town, you know, they were in and out of Ballstall, and, you know, something which I only, I was, you know, nearly went away myself, you know, I didn't, but I went to court a lot of times, and, you know, I'm a million, million miles away from that kid, that dysfunctional kid who just didn't know any better than, you know, to get into trouble, and, you know, I think at that point, my level of consciousness was at a very, a very low point you know my my understanding of life you know I didn't yeah. so kind of I wanted to do I, there was a part of me that wanted to do good I just didn't know how to you know I was caught up in this cycle of you know getting into trouble and you know getting kudos for it you know I was, a, I was a, always you know there was a lot of kudos involved in being a bad boy and yeah. and so you know my my level of consciousness and awareness was at a low point there I just didn't know how to I only knew how to view life at that that level that that sort of frequency if you like and you know years as, as time went on you know as I got into my 20s you know everything I touched turned to stone you know my my you know unsurprisingly as I became an adult I failed to set the world on fire you know I couldn't hold down jobs I had brief relationships I couldn't make any money I was struggling and this went on all the way up until until I got into my early 30s when I kind of got into healing and spirituality and 
really for me it was you know the reason I was drawn to that because I was trying to heal a lot of the dysfunction in me mm. a lot of those, those negative programs where I've been told I was no good I was told I was useless I was, I was a failure and you know the headmaster told me that when he expelled me he said I was the one of the worst kids he'd ever had in the school and I would, I'd never amount to anything mm. you know, so I, I had tons of this programming going on so I kind of got drawn into the world of healing to try and fix a lot of that dysfunction because something was in me was pulling me in that direction, saying, look, this is a way out of this, this failure cycle. And, you know, so I started going to, um, you know, little healing groups locally and, you know, learning the art of hands-on healing, that kind of thing. Yeah. It kind of brought me peace and it started to make me realize that, you know, I didn't... There were things within me that I could change. And when I changed those things internally, the world outside me would start to change. And from that from that point, you know, then then I kind of, you know, became a hypno you know, the hypnotherapy thing started to open up for me. You know, I was out doing gigs and as I mentioned earlier, and I saw the hypnotherapist or the stage hypnotist and I did the course. And that was all part of the journey. But I think what happened to me was you know, I went from a very low level of consciousness to, over time, clearing away a lot of this dysfunction and a lot of these negative patterns, to being able to raise my consciousness. And as time went on, you know, I got more into spirituality. You know, I became uh, a vegetarian at first. I became a vegan because, you know, I, I um, you know, for me that was all part of the journey. You know, I'm passionate about animal welfare, and and I believe that's helped. You know, my raising my level of consciousness and mm. becoming clearer and freer and not being held back by all this, the, the, you know, the negative patterns from my childhood. And, you know, as I got lighter and as I used to meditate more on abundance and success and love and compassion and kindness, all of those, you know, qualities, life started to reflect that back to me. And it didn't happen, at first, you know, straight away. It's, it was a, you know, like turning the tide. But... As time went on and I cleared a lot of this dysfunction, you know, through using self-hypnosis and, you know, various other therapies, I started to get lighter and, and life did start to become more abundant and more successful. And, you know, and I, I realized that, you know, the more I fixed my inner self, the more I could progress in life and, you know, my, you know, my true self would come out and, you know, I could um, be who I'm supposed to be and not be held down by all the negative conditioning and programming. And that for me is really, you know, an example of raising my consciousness, um, you know, to a point where you start to become the person that you're supposed to be and you start to see life um, in, a, in a much clearer way, you know, more clarity and more a greater understanding of, you know, the way the world works and, yeah, and, and that's, that's been my journey. And and I mean to, to 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 the extent as well where where you've even spent time you spent some time in, in Panama and, mm -hmm. and and you and you journeyed for example yeah. with the um, is it the ayahuasca? Yeah, well, I, I've spent time in Panama um, a shamanic retreat um, because yeah, that was another thing. You know, when I when I discovered shamanism, it's you know it's like another version of hypnotherapy that but it, it works on. Uh, you know, uh, more energetically, you know, whereas hypnotherapy is much more about the mind and, um, you know, changing patterns of behavior. 
shamanism is more working on um, you know the person's energetic field and and you know when I looked into that I really uh, it really resonated with me and I had the opportunity a few years ago to go to Panama and spend time at a shamanic retreat and you know I went down there with um, my my other half Nicola and we spent four months down there in total and it was quite an amazing journey because um, when we went there it was really funny because when we got on the plane at Heathrow we got delayed for something like six hours it was in December and the weather was not good and we got stuck at Heathrow Airport and the plane uh, because it was delayed five hours we missed all of our connections and we had the worst journey you could imagine out there because you know, each stop we've missed the next plane, so we had to book new flights and book into hotels. And so, what should have been a quite easy two-day journey was a very stressful four-day journey. Mm. But when we got out there, the shaman said, "Well, he said he's not surprised because when you go on that journey and when you're going to um, move forward in such a, a way and you're going to clear a lot of, um, you know, karmic records and you know stuff, uh, energetic stuff." There are, his belief was that there can be dark and light forces that vie for your attention and sometimes the dark forces can get involved and so it kind of, when, when he said that, it gave me a new um, perspective on a delayed flight and, you know, stopped me suing the airline. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just kind of made me, it framed it in a different way and yeah. you know, I've always been a very open-minded person, you know, I've always had that um, complete open-mindedness and... Um, and yeah, you mentioned ayahuasca, and that's something I've journeyed with a number of times. Um, uh, because, you know, as, as I mentioned earlier, when I was a kid, I got involved, you know, I did all kinds of drugs, you know, hard drugs. I, you know, experimented with heroin a few times, acid trips, and, you know, but for me at the time, that was just about getting out of it, you know, because I was so unhappy in my life. I, I didn't care, you know, I just, I, I'd do anything to get out of it. Um, and I, kind of quite I've got quite an extreme nature if uh, you know and I do throw myself into things so I kind of got into some quite dangerous situations when I was young but for me you know when I when I found out about ayahuasca I was I read actually read about it in Sting's biography and he talks about this amazing journey he had in Brazil and how how healing it was and how cathartic it was and that was the bit that really drew me towards it because and because of all the dysfunction I had going on from my childhood, I wanted to, uh, you know, I was, I was on that healing path. And if anything would help me take me further and, you know, expand my consciousness, you know, heal, heal more dysfunction, you know, peel layers off the onion, you know, I was drawn to it like a moth to a flame. And, yeah, with ayahuasca, I found uh, a shaman that ran ceremonies and I felt that I really trusted this guy. And... The very first time I did it, it was in a ceremonial setting and there was music involved and I went on a journey that was, it was quite incredible, you know, for the first three hours of taking the, the shamans call it medicine as well, it's not, it's not, you know, maybe in the West, it's, you know, the, the authorities might classify it as a drug, but they see it as a healing uh, uh, tool that they've had at their disposal, you know, in the Amazon for thousands of years. You know, and it's got amazing healing properties. You know, you know, it can heal depression. It can heal. You know, it can get people off of hard drugs, that kind of thing. It's it's got um, incredible properties, and so I was drawn to it for that healing side. And when I did this, when I went on the first journey, 
I remember experiencing three hours of absolute bliss when I took it because it is hallucinogenic and I think there's a DMT element of it that takes you on this amazing hallucinogenic journey. Mm. And it's very different. You know, there were six of us in the room and everyone's having their own experience. But what, what it does, you know, when you, um, you know, for me, the first three hours were at this amazing journey. But then what happens is the, the shadow side of, of yourself starts to come into focus and match that shadow side which I believe everyone has you know we all have an element of that is the darker aspects of our uh, inner inner workings if you like that starts to come up you know and that's the thing that can feed addictions and feed you know negative habits that sometimes you don't even realize is there that's you don't even realize that's the thing that's driving it yeah but for me, that started to come up, and, and when it did, you know, I had these amazing insights, you know, things that I had, a, you know, because I've been on the, you know, working as a hypnotherapist for a number of years, I had a little bit of insight as to some of these things that came up in me, but that's the amazing thing with ayahuasca, it throws these things up in you that are so powerful that at certain times when, when they come up, you actually physically vomit. And the shamans say that you're actually purging yourself of this shadow stuff, this darkness within you. Mm. And that is the power of it. And, you know, I've, I've, I've done um, ayahuasca sessions where it's felt like I've done, you know, the equivalent of like 20 hypnotherapy sessions all in one go. Mm. It, it almost feels like it's, a, you know, it's so powerful and so um, intense that you're clearing, clearing, you know, some really, really deep stuff. Um, and I've, I've had friends that have, uh, you know, experienced very similar things. You know, one one of my friends came to a session with me and, um, you know, he, he had um, an addiction. His addiction was pornography. And he said every day he couldn't help himself. He'd go on and, and look at it and, you know, he, he wanted to stop it, but he just couldn't. Mm. And he said in the ayahuasca ceremony, he was, he got to a point in it where, all of a sudden, without actually thinking about it, this came up within him, this this sort of, um, uh, it was something, it wasn't, you know, directly linked, something else came up within him, um, and he, he vomited, he purged, and he said he felt free, for the first time he felt free, and he said, since that day, he's never looked at it again, never looked at pornography again. Mm. So, you know, something like that is quite amazing that, you know, the medicine can get inside you and throw this stuff up within you, you purge it, and, you know, that that thing that's driving the addiction has gone, you know, so the addiction then has no no power, no source. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of deep stuff, and I know it's not yeah, everyone's yeah. bag, it's not everyone's bag, but for me it's, it's something that's worked and it's helped me, um, and it has influenced my work, um, and, you know, I've, I've definitely found the recordings I make nowadays, having gone through those experiences, are more powerful than, you know, the earlier recordings. Yeah, and and yeah. I, do, I do attribute it to, you know, those experiences and the, the, the clearing, the extra clearings that I've done. Well, that's one of the things I was going to ask about, because, um, you know, w w when we talk about... Um, um, obviously, it's not something necessarily that, that you know, you know that... That, that are wholly separate but but they're also you, you know how does the spirituality and the raised consciousness that you've worked so hard on with yourself personally how yeah. does that kind of influence your work then and how does that sort of in, or, or, or 
or, or does it encroach upon your work and does it affect it in certain ways? Yeah, it really does because, um, you know, as I mentioned, you know, the years ago I was, uh, you know, mixing with quite a, you know, a lot of um, dodgy characters and, um, you know, and I know because I was, you know, I was at a certain, you know, energetic level that I was attracting people of the same, you know, who, who were like me, you know, I had a dysfunctional upbringing and, you know, just got into lots of trouble. You know, nowadays I'm in a completely different situation and, the, you know, the people that I tend to attract into my life are, you know, very positive people on a similar path to me on, you know, fascinated by healing and, um, and so, you know, I think that's the thing. It's a vibrational thing. You know, Einstein said that everything in the universe is energetic and, you know, we, when we emit a certain frequency, we are naturally connected to other things of a similar frequency and you know just to um <laughs> just to emphasize that point i was just recently um a friend of mine who i hadn't heard of or seen for about 40 years got in touch with me via facebook wow. and um this this was a kid that i knocked around with when i was 16 and he was he was a funny character but he was always in trouble you know he spent his he spent his teenage life in and out of ball store and you know he would come around for me as a kid when we and i'd get in his car and we'd be, be out and i'd say this is a nice car tell where did you get this from and he said, oh, I've, just nicked, he said i've just nicked it and um you know this, this was the kind of kid he was he was crazy but anyway so he got in touch with me all these years later 40 years and i thought wow you know what what a blast from the past and yeah, um yeah. and i said to him i said well he was posting all over and saying, I can't believe what you're doing, you know, because he's seen my books and recordings. He said, oh, wow, he said, what, a, what a surprise. So when we finally, um, uh, we started uh, messaging each other, I said, well, what have you been up to for the last, you know, 35 years? And he said, well, I've, I've just come out from a 20-year stretch. And <laughs> wow, wow. so for me, you know, being a friend of his all those years ago and to where I am now, you know, I'm in such a completely different place. Yeah. Um, but that was, it's almost like a past life to me, you know, where I was then and where I am now. Yeah. And, you know, and anyway, as I got chatting to this, this guy, he, he said that, um, what it was 20 odd years ago, you know, cause I thought, what's he done? Has he been in murdering people or what? But what it was, he, he got, he got a drug habit when he was younger and, you know, to pay for the drug, he couldn't get funding to get the treatment he needed, so he went out and robbed banks, as you do, and um, <laughs> and that was what he did. You know, and that's why he got twenty years. But he said actually, when he was in prison, he became a Buddhist, um, right. and he also all over his Facebook page there were these amazing pictures that he'd drawn, and you know, within within him, he had this artistic talent that you know, through having the time in prison, came out and was obviously encouraged. And he's quite, a, he's quite an amazing artist, actually. Yeah. So, you know, even in a, you know, a character like that, there's always redemption. There's always a way out of it, you know. And, you know, whether it's through, you know, hypnotherapy or, you know, shamanism or whatever method or Buddhism, whatever it is, you know, it doesn't matter where you're at in life. You can always find your way out of the woods if you're willing to, you know, get your head down and you know, cultivate the goodness within you, cultivate that, you know, the, the heart side of yourself. And, 
you know the, the kindness and the compassion you know and, and and putting that kind of work and you know for me that was definitely what got me out of that you know that darkness and you know took me into a, you know a life of abundance and happiness now you know yeah so so there's always that that potential in this life you know to go and it always fascinates me his story you know fascinated me when he told me you know i thought wow you know the guy that's been at absolute rock bottom couldn't have got any lower and yet here he is he's out and you know I really hope for him, him that he, he he continues along the path he's on, and you know he makes he makes something really good of his life because that's the beauty of this life. There is that opportunity for absolutely everyone to to turn things around. Yeah, yeah. I think that is um, um, a really important and a really really inspiring message, Glenn. And um, you know to hear, I, I really appreciate your candor and um, and the way you've shared about your own your own journey and so on. And I think um, um, it's 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 just a wonderful thing to listen to. I could I could listen and listen and listen. And um, again, I, I keep forgetting that perhaps I'm actually running a podcast here. Um, and, and and but but we're out of time today. Um, yeah. um, thank you ever so much for sharing and um and being so intimate in the way in which you shared here today um, yeah. um, um with the interview and with your with your relationship with your own spirituality your own journey and raising of consciousness um um and um people that are listening you want to go and uh, learn more about glenn and his work go visit glennharold.com there'll be links at the website um all that really remains for me to say is glenn harold thank you very much for coming and being part of the hypnosis weekly webcast you're welcome, Adam. I really enjoyed that. Glenn was a guest I really enjoyed having on the show. Um, I think I've laboured that now. So let's move on. Evidence-based hypnosis factoid of the week. In a study entitled Effects of Self-Hypnosis Training and Cognitive Restructuring on Daily Pain Intensity and Catastrophizing in Individuals with Multiple Sclerosis and Chronic Pain, dated in 2010 by Jensen and colleagues, um, published in the International Journal of Clinical and Experimental Hypnosis. It was shown, and here's this week's factoid, it was shown that self-hypnosis training is more effective than cognitive restructuring when it comes to relieving daily pain intensity among people who suffer from multiple sclerosis. And this is, this is significant because, you know, self-hypnosis and hypnosis, that they, they, they didn't just demonstrate efficacy, they, um, which, is, which means that, you know, they're better than using nothing, but actually demonstrated and were more effective than, than something that's been well established and used within that kind of environment. Um, um, so wonderful stuff. According to results, self-hypnosis can improve comfort levels in MS sufferers. Um, I love that. Love it. Full study details can be found over at this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. So that is it for our 57th edition. I do have many more exciting guests that are welcome to Hypnosis Weekly in coming weeks too. We'll be discussing, debating, celebrating and above all remaining friends. I'll uh, now be back in two weeks times. I'm teaching next week and I'll be away. Um, and to repeat, all the references made in the discussions along with related links are posted at each episode on the Hypnosis Weekly website www.hypnosis-weekly.com. My guest the next time out is hypnotherapist and creator of Hypnosize. Hypnosize. 
uh, Annalise Kirk. Uh, I absolutely welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions and questions. So do please message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website. I'll make sure they are addressed, answered and explored accordingly. Do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else to help us really reach the hypnosis field. Thanks again to Glenn Harold. My thanks to you, as always, for tuning in. My name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, goodbye for now. Mm-hmm.